The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. So welcome to the show, everybody. I'm coming to you from Natchez, Mississippi. Matches Mississippi. I never know what state I'm in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're on the road now for two weeks, and the, the trip is going great. And I am so looking forward to talking to my guests today. Claire, I understand you've been standing by on the line. I'm sorry that we didn't get a chance to talk yet, but welcome to the show. Thank you. No problem waiting. All right. Well, my guest is Claire Bidwell-Smith, and she's here to talk today about her beautiful area of expertise, grief and the afterlife. Claire is a therapist specializing in grief. She's the author of three books, The Rules of Inheritance, After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go?, and Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Claire offers numerous online programs for grief in addition to working with people one-on-one. Now, Claire, you were led by your own experiences to get into this field and Reading about your background, it's one I wouldn't wish on anybody. Uh, I was just sharing it with my husband, Ty, earlier about your your early losses. I hate to use that word loss because what I know as a medium is that we haven't lost our loved ones completely, simply the physical presence. But would you just start at the beginning and tell us how you got into this field? Of course. Um Yeah, it wasn't an easy start to my life journey, but both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14 years old. I'm an only child, so my whole little nuclear family was very rocked by this. Um, My teenage years were spent in and out of hospitals with my parents. My mother, who was um, just an incredible presence in my life, we were very close She died when I was 18 uh, as a freshman Mm. in college, and then my father died seven years later. So by 25, I was orphaned and just, you know, having a really different experience than my peers. They were all post-college, you know, just entering into their lives uh, in a different way than I was. I was um, struggling. I was um, really grieving. I was also questioning, like, what is life all about? Uh, so it was a different, it was a different way to kind of move into young adulthood. I imagine, I don't know how you even handled the first year of college, just going through grief and that major transition at the same time. I didn't do well. I, uh, I dropped out for a year and then I went back and finished up, but I definitely needed some time to just to kind of, um, recover, but I, You there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, you cut out on me for a minute there. What was the last thing you said? You needed time to recover and... It took me years, I think, you know, to really fully be able to incorporate these losses into my life and and find meaning and love and, and happiness. It took me a while. I'm sure. And you ended up being a caregiver for your father, right? I was. I, I took care of him at home under hospice. 
And, um, and it was, you know, it was actually a beautiful experience, you know, when we can have a beautiful intentional death, I think, um, it doesn't always happen for everyone and we don't always have that opportunity, but I, I did with my father and it was very different than my mother's death, which was, um, up until the last minute in the hospitals, you know, not really when we expected it to happen, we hadn't said goodbye. So they were two very different losses that shaped a lot of the work I do now. Yes, and reading about those losses, it feels as if also the way you dealt with each of their deaths internally and talked about them is different. Could you talk about that, please? Yes, my mom, again, she and I were so incredibly close. And I I really just initially, I didn't know how to be in the world without her. Um, and I had a lot of anxiety. I also had a lot of guilt and regret. I, I made a choice the night she died that resulted in me not being there when she died. And that mm. choice and that the, um, the fact that I wasn't there with her really ate at me for years. I really struggled with that. Um, I just mm. wanted so badly to go back and do it over again, to be there with her, to tell her how much I loved her. And so I, that weighed with me for a very long time. Um, my father's death Could was different. Could we jump on I, that? Yeah, I'd love to I jump was on able that for to a minute. Really, because yeah, go ahead. As, as a medium, so many of my clients are dealing with guilt for that very same reason. It comes up from those across the veil. And I know what they say, you know, don't worry about it. I haven't gone anywhere. We didn't need to say goodbye. But how do you advise people to deal with that now? Because a lot of people do struggle with it. Yeah, it is one of the number one things I encounter with my clients um, is this guilt and regret. And there's there's lots of things that um, I think we perceive we could have done differently. Lots of things maybe we could have. We're very hard on ourselves as humans, I think. Um, and especially, you know, when we're in these vulnerable situations, when we're losing someone we love, um, it's so difficult to go through it. And I think that we often take on a lot of responsibility, blame, pain. One of the interesting things I've found, um, I think a couple of things, I think it takes a lot of self-forgiveness. Um, I think we can go to mediums and and hear from our our loved ones about how it's okay that we weren't there the night they died or whatever the thing was that we're holding that guilt about. Um, but I've seen even then that people still struggle to forgive themselves. So it often seems like that's a key piece. Um, mm -hmm. And then sometimes I see people holding on to guilt as a way of holding on to the person or to their yeah. grief. Like they're afraid to let go of it because it will mean they've let go of their person. So it's just being aware of that tendency, the way to heal that, because ultimately it's a matter of letting go, of surrendering that. Is understanding the key? It is. I think it takes a lot of different things. I think, um, I think it means um, understanding it, talking about it, having someone maybe bear witness to it. Um, multiple things, maybe seeing a medium, writing about it, self-forgiveness exercises. You know, it, it's different for everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow, good stuff right off the bat. So <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted you when you were talking about then how it was different with your dad. With my dad, you know, he was much older. He'd had me much later in life. He was actually 57 when I was born. Um, wow. and he just, he'd lived a lot of life. He was a really interesting person and he was very wise. And when he knew that the end was coming, unlike my mother, he didn't want to try a bunch of last minute treatments or, um, you know, just various things that could have maybe prolonged his life for a short period of time. He wanted to go home and just close out his life with intention. And he asked me to help him do that, which I was really scared to do. Um, I wanted him to keep fighting, you know, that idea that we keep fighting to stay here. Now I, now I see that differently, but, um, we went home and I cared for him with hospice and we sat together, we held hands, we said goodbye. Um, wow. and I was there with him when he died and it was, it was really beautiful. I think we'd said everything we could have said. Um, he was at peace with his death. I wasn't ready to let go of him, but 
you sure. know, I had talked about it and faced it as much as I possibly could. So. Wow. And being the only child, this, did all of that shape your decision to follow this career? Not right away. I've always been a writer, so hence the books. Um, I, I've been a writer since I was a little kid, and it was all I wanted to do was be a writer. And I an have author. to tell you, you are an awesome what? writer. I mean, I'm hanging on every word <laughs> as you. I was just reading from, um, from your second book. Yeah. Uh, just thank you. Yeah. After this, when life is over, just I was trying to pinpoint what is it that makes one writer stand out from another and just beautiful, beautiful descriptions, emotionality. And I'm glad you're a writer. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was what I was intending to do. And then I, I was you know, at the time my father died, I was working for a bunch of glitzy magazines and travel writing and food writing. And it was fun. And it was, you know, I was getting paid to be a writer, but it just, after both of their deaths, it just didn't feel like meaningful work. And mm. I felt so lost in the world. And the only thing that helped me stop feeling so lost was to start doing work in ways of service. Um, so I worked with homeless people. I worked with underserved school kids. Um, I eventually went back and got my master's in clinical psychology and I began to work in hospice and, and the writing bug never left me. So I just kept writing all along the way. Mm -hmm. I've now been in private practice for 10 years as a grief therapist. Well, you're certainly in the right field and I love how you combine it with the writing. Um, Thank you. See. I'm I'm a little knocked off balance. I'm just trying to ask the spirit world why they mess with my computer, why everything seems to be last minute with this interview, but I think it's supposed to go in directions I wasn't expecting it to go. For example, I was so thrilled when you agreed to come on the show and, and we had you mail me one of my books and it showed up and it's your latest about the missing stage of grief, anxiety. And I'd like to talk about mm -hmm. that, but my wonderful assistant, Lynette, who said, up the interviews sent me chapter one from your book after this where hmm. when life is over where do we go so I had been focusing on the anxiety book but just in this today I read chapter one of after this and I was very excited reading about it because this is the book where you started exploring is there an afterlife and I got to the end of chapter one and it's a cliffhanger. And I just, I'm turning the page and there's nothing there. She didn't send me the book. She sent me chapter one. I picked up the book of the phone. I said, Lynette, what did you do to me? You can't leave me like this. So I'm going to leave everybody else hanging because I want to have you share with us what happened in chapter two. But let's talk about your friend, Julie, and what led you to go to your first medium. Um. I love that you got this one chapter. Uh, so Julie oh. <laughs> was my best friend in high school and she got leukemia and died within a year during her like junior year of college. And it was just a couple of years after my mom had died and it was before my father died. Um, and she was the first peer I lost and all of us as high school friends gathered around her when she was sick and we were at the hospital all the time and, you know, we were really showing up for her, but I was the only person who would talk to her about death. I had hmm. lost my mom and I thought about death and grief all the time. And Julie had questions. She was 22 years old, but she had never lost anyone, not a grandparent, not a pet, nobody. And I remember she turned to me one day in the hospital room and she said, Claire, what if I get to the other side and there's nobody waiting for me? And I remember mm -hmm. I just started crying and I was like, my mom will be there. I promise. And it was just, you know, it was very, it was very different to have a, a friend, um, die at that age and it left me with even more questions um but before oh she gosh, died i, I, I promised her a cup yeah well, just, before she died i, I made her a couple up. of promises i okay. i i promised her that i would name a child after her and i oh. also promised her that i would go to see a psychic medium after she died and see if she was okay so um 
10 years later, I realized I had not made good on these promises. It was like the 10 year anniversary of her death. And at this point I was working as a hospice grief counselor. I had had my first daughter and I had not named her after Julie. And I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't made good on these promises at all. And so I booked my first psychic medium appointment and it felt very scary to me in many ways. I I was afraid, you know, I was, I was a professional grief counselor at this point. And so in my clinical world, it felt very taboo to be doing this yet. I was so curious for my clients, for myself. Um, I was also scared that I would go and it would be real. And then I would have to change everything I thought about the world, which is what yeah. happened. <laughs> and, and and this um, is the chapter that I read about, you know, your, your story of your inner, your relationship with your friend Julie and her passing and how you promised her you'd go to the medium. Here it is 10 years later and you're going to do it. And you describe it so beautifully on the flight there. And now you're a mom and you have a different way of thinking about death and life. And you and Julie had even said, you know, give me two passwords or code words or some way to let me know it's you. And, and you end chapter one with John Edwards, the famous medium John Edward. I thought, well, good. If you're going to pick somebody for your first time with a medium, good job. And you say he walks in the room and he's moving his head back and forth like a boxer entering the ring or a sports figure ready to, to work out, you know. And that's where the chapter ends. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Which is exactly what a good writer should do, right? <laughs> yes. But now we need to know yes. how, did, how what happened in that your first time with the medium, the total skeptic, but open-minded, but like you said, this is going to totally change your world if it turns out to be yeah. something more than what you thought. So it was a, it was a very small reading. There were only, I think like 10 or 15 of us. And it was in just a little hotel conference room on Long Island. And, um, it was my very first time seeing a medium. And so it was, it was exciting to see John, John Edward. He was, um, the most famous one I could think of at the time. And, I was so nervous though. It was a great reading. I think what I was really surprised by, I expected it to be very sad. I was worried for all the people who were going to this. I had paid a lot of money. I had flown, you know, across the country and I thought, oh my God, are there other people doing this? Are they paying a ton of money and are they flying places? And are they, they're going to do this because they miss someone so much. And what if if they don't come through or what if it's not real? And I was just really worried for the other attendees. Um, and what I found was so different from that. It was so beautiful uh -huh. and so healing. Yeah. And he it brought is. their loved ones into the room. And like, I felt like I got to know every person they lost and mm. oh, nice. it, it blew my mind. I was, I got the worst reading, but I really think it was because I was so scared and so uptight. You know, I had my arms across my uh -huh. chest. I like oh. didn't want to give him one word of anything, you know? Oh my God. Um, let, and, let me stop you there for a second, Claire. Because anybody who studied in my classes knows that's like rule number one, the sitter is so important too. And I always tell the story about my client who sits with the arms crossed and won't give anything up and how that actually affects the energy in a reading. So you just proved that point there. But did, it, did any of the three loved ones we've talked about so far, Julie, or either of your parents come through at all? My father came through in that one. Um, and some little bits and pieces from my mom, but I had later readings with other mediums that were just profound, but I, I okay. felt like I could have had that with John Edward potentially, but my energy was so closed off to it at the time. That is huge. I'm very glad to hear you say that. Cause I know that, but I love for everybody who's listening to hear that as well. Wow. Hmm. And I'm just curious cause I, always tell people, you know, I understand how we make agreements with our loved ones. Give me the secret password or whatever, the the code. And, but I tell them that that also is not so likely to happen to get that word. And that when we're only listening for that, that it blocks us from hearing other things that are much more important, actually. Did she ever get those two symbols through to you? You know, I have seen probably two dozen psychic mediums at this point, and not only have mm -hmm. I not gotten the symbols, but Julie herself has never come through. I really? have had my parents, I've had 
uncles, I've had friends, I've had everybody come through and Julie has never come through. The one person who set me off on this whole journey. Yeah. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Mm-hmm. This is when I wish I could be like the Long Island medium and instantly say, well, here she is and here are her symbols. And it just doesn't <laughs> work that way. You're on a path and you've gotten what you needed from those readings. So let's focus on that. Let's talk about what the change was in you from the skeptic and what, how did it cause you to change how you counsel people? Yeah, it changed everything. Um, I, after John Edward, I was really curious. I wanted more. I'd like, it was just a little bit of a taste and it was real enough. And the, the readings I saw him do for the people around me, I wanted that. And it was, it was just so undeniable that night. And so I, mm, I, I needed more. And I found this woman in Chicago named Delphina and I found her on Yelp. And I was always very careful. I made fake names and fake email addresses and I used blocked phone numbers and I paid in cash. And I thought that this was, <laughs> you know, now I, now I know like how pointless you, you guys don't, you're not looking people up. Like, would you have the time? Um, or, you know, you just wouldn't, it's, it's so not, silly, it's but not even I, a I found... question of time. It's the sacredness of this. Why it takes right. away the wonder, the miracles, the joy of it. I would never give that up. Hmm. Yeah, I know. And I found this woman, Delphina, and I, I, I went to see her in Chicago and it was just a one-on-one. And this was the one that just blew the top off my head. Mm. I remember walking out of that reading and looking at the world and thinking, I, I, I know nothing about how anything works. Nothing is what I thought oh. it was. I felt like I had, yeah. I was like Alice down the rabbit hole or like I'd woken up in the matrix, you know, like it was yeah. She'd brought through my parents and and a, and a half brother I'd had and like so many, I mean, just the things she brought through were just, no one could have told me that yeah. except them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it changed wow. everything so- for me and it, 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 it made me think about my clients in a different way too and their loved ones and their journeys of grief. For example... Well, I really began to come around to the idea that we are always still connected to our loved ones. So that was something I had not been able to open up to. After my mother died, mm. it was so painful that I I couldn't even allow myself to think that she was somewhere. I only wanted her right here in front of me in the flesh. And if that wasn't it, then I wasn't even open to it. But this experience wow, changed yeah. all of that. And, and I started to really think about what does it mean to have our people still be connected to us? What does it mean for us to connect yeah. with them? And how do we connect with them? And when we do, what does that change for us? And I began to see that it changes so much. I almost feel like it's yeah. another stage of grief, you know, this kind of spiritual inquiry that we have to go through. I don't think I've ever met anybody who has lost a significant person in their life and not wondered where they are, not wondered if they're okay, mm-hmm. not wondered if they'll see mm-hmm. them again. And, sure. and so when we do go down that path and we find some sense of connection, it's so healing. So... Yeah, I've and I know that so many people listening to, yep, so many listening today can attest to that. That was my personal experience. How healing that initial reading with the medium we had was, and that's why I embarked on this path as well. So many do because you see how healing it is, huh? Do you make mediumship a part of your counseling now, recommending it to others? I do recommend it, not always and gently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not, some, I don't push anything on anybody. So it's, it's really individual. And often it, you know, I'll be a certain amount of sessions in getting to know someone and I'll just ask, have you ever seen a psychic medium and mm-hmm. kind of see where it goes. And a lot of times I encounter the same thing that I had gone through. They're scared, they're skeptical. Um, they don't know where to look. Um, all all kinds of things. And so that's when I will start to talk about the option of it, the validity of it, um, the potential of what they may find. And I have mediums I recommend here and there. I've become really close friends with a medium that I saw at the very end of of the book. Um, And so we've had many conversations about mediumship. 
Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. That, I love that, that you're not pushing it on them. And it is. It's one option of many ways to heal. So I look forward to coming back after the break and talking about more of those options, more about your path to discovery. We're talking with Claire Bidwell-Smith. We're going to take a three-minute break, and we'll see you all back here shortly. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hey, everybody. We're talking with Claire Bidwell-Smith, a wonderful, wonderfully talented writer and bereavement counselor, a great combination for those of you who are tuning in now and trying to come to terms with a major loss in your life. So, Claire... There are a lot of people who have fears that stand in the way of them healing and making use of mediumship or other modalities that are outside the mainstream. How do they let go of those fears? It's a good question. I think I think people have different kinds of fears, and I think there are different ways of working through them. You know, I think we grieve in the same ways that we do other things in life, the ways we experience joy or the way that we pursue careers. You know, we, we grieve according to our personality, our beliefs about the world. And I think that exploring some of those things for ourselves is important. I think a lot of fear comes from, um, feeling like we can't resolve things that happened or we can't still be connected to our people. And, and I, I've really come to a place in my life where I, I believe that we're always connected and that there's always time and space and room to resolve things, to make amends, to move forward and stay connected. Um, but it took me a long time to get there. Um, I was afraid to even think about death for a while. I was afraid to be in my body. You know, it was, it was a traumatic experience to lose my parents so young. And I think many people go through a kind of level of trauma when they lose a loved one. It takes a lot of different ways of healing, I think. But one of them is just sitting with the just the knowledge of everything that's happened and talking it through with people. What do you think some of the fears are? Well, one of the biggest ones that I come up against is the belief system that mediumship is wrong. There's, it's mostly a religious belief. It's what people were told that it's mm-hmm. wrong. And uh, I actually had a woman in a recent reading, she allowed me to talk about this, who uh, her son on the other side just was having the hardest time connecting. He came through. She didn't tell me who she wanted to hear from. And she said, yes, I have a son. And he showed me it was her fear that mediumship was against her faith and a wrong thing that was con- affecting our connection. So I gave her the choice. I said, he's right here. He's coming with love. I'm doing this out of love, so it's up to you. If you can set aside your fear, we can talk to your son. Her eyes went open wide, and she said, I can do that. And she set it aside, and boom, the connection opened right up. And he actually told her her faith is good. It's good to have that, and that she was doing good work in her church, but that if she could open her belief system more, it would open her to a greater reality. I don't mean to take away your I love time. that. No, that's so spot on. I have a whole chapter in my new book about anxiety. Um, that's all about like just exploring what you believe in. And you're right. It doesn't fact, mean that you have to give up something that you've believed in. It just means you have to expand it. Yeah. It, it, you're, you're making me laugh because I'm holding your book, Anxiety, The Missing State of Grief, in my book. 
and in my hand, and I just stuck the uh, a bookmark right at chapter ten, something to believe in. <laughs> That's right. That's the one. <laughs> so that was a big uh, challenge for you in the beginning. You said, uh, and here's a quote from you in your book uh, after this, I realized that my own grief had been shaped by messages with notions of heaven and hell, rules that we must abide by during our lives, and that my feeling of connection to those whom I have lost relied upon the ideas I had in my head about where those people are now. Could you talk a little more about that? Yeah, you know, personally, I had a very bland upbringing of, you know, I guess Christianity, Um, but it was, we rarely went to church and it was just kind of in the background. I did some Sunday school and none of it was enough to actually create a framework for me. So I really felt like I had nothing and I kind of stayed away from it all because it seemed like too much to take on. Yet when I went through these losses, that was when I began to realize that I did need something. I was curious. Um, Even if it was like some kind of proof that there's absolutely nothing and when we die, that's it. You know, even if it was proof of just pure existentialism, um, I felt like I needed something. And like I said earlier, I think, I think it's, I almost think it's a stage of grief, you know, I exploring our, our spirituality, exploring our, our, our backgrounds, what we were brought up in, what we were raised in, yeah. what we believe in yeah. now. Um, I think you're right. It gets in the way of so many people feeling like they can find a sense of connection with the person that they've loved and lost. Yeah. I, when I, and I teach classes, I say this, lovingly, we really need to explore our BS. And that mm-hmm. stands for belief system. Belief system. Yeah. <laughs> it'll hold I us love back. that. Really, it's a, it's a great double meaning because, you know, when we hold on rigidly to what we take as truth, we're blocking ourselves and our beliefs are, they change based on our experience. And when we can have the personal experience versus what somebody tells us to believe, then that can really be transformational. So you you explored more than just mediumship. Uh, I read a review of your book that someone wrote that said you actually, you did a past life regression. I want to talk about that briefly and the seance that you did. You said you went into the past life <laughs> regression and knowingly made up the things that came out of your mouth. Will you talk about that, please? <laughs> Just in the first one, I did two regressions and the second one was different. Um, I got into all kinds of things. I got into shamanism. I, um, I talked to rabbis and priests. I got into Buddhism. I, um, I did have a seance in my house, more than one actually. I, um, and I did a couple of past life regressions and I, you know, it wasn't, it was kind of random what I was doing. I was just following the rabbit hole. You know, I would do one thing. I would talk to a rabbi and suddenly he would tell me about somebody or something. And then yeah. I would go see that person. And then that person would tell me about somebody or something. So there was no, you know, there was no system to the kinds of things that I, that I got into the past life but regression. That's cool. <laughs> that, that, I love that. I mean, that's intuitive. That's the flow of life. And I know that so many of you listening right now are saying, yeah, yeah, I know that rabbit hole because that's what we do. But when we can be guided as we do it, it leads us to these breadcrumbs down this wonderful path. It does. You know, it was a profound journey for me. And each stop along the way offered something different. And by the time I reached the end of at least the journey of that book, I was a different person than, than that girl who was on the flight to see John Edward, you know, and I, it's mm-hmm. remained, I've com- continued to transform and, and my, my whole belief system about everything has continued to expand. Um, but you know, it was well, difficult. It so the past life regression, was, it, there were, there was a whole series of things in the beginning that were just really difficult for me to open up to. I, I struggled with it. I struggled in that John Edwards meeting. I really struggled with the past life regression. I struggled to kind of let go of my, you know, my old talky mind, the one that was telling me what was rational, what wasn't, what my old belief system was, what people would think of me. It was really hard for me to turn all of that off and just be and just open up to these experiences. Um, 
So in the beginning, there were there were moments like that. And I did get myself caught up in a past life regression that went on forever. And I just wasn't in it. And I could, I just wanted to get out of it. So I started making up pieces of it just to lead myself to the end. I was like, I think I'm dying now. <laughs> I'm at the end of this life. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was all a journey, but I, I did learn how to really open up finally. And it's been a true gift in my life. Beautiful. Now, you've also balanced what some people would call the woo-woo side, the more intuitive side, with some talking to those who are doing scientific research. You, you, I understand you've talked to Dr. Julie Beisel, who I've had on this show, an afterlife researcher. What did you learn from the, that aspect of your research? That is a science to it. I is a lot that can be studied and proven and that there's data. To me, none of that was satisfying um, in the ways that I thought it might be. The only satisfying parts to me were the, the real experiences of feeling like I was mm. connected to someone. And so the more research and science I looked into, it, it, it just um, it paled in comparison to the moments of when I really felt like I was transcending um, some kind of energy field or I was connecting with someone or I was really opening mm. up to something much bigger than what I thought the world was. Um, but I do like so how to talk do people about this. Get those? How do people have those kind of experiences? Because I know just as you said that, I could hear people saying, I want that. I want those more. I want to open up to those more transcendent experiences. How did you do that, Claire? With a lot of practice and just doing it over and over and over again. And, and again, they, they come in like glimpses and moments that are so bright that you can hold on to them for a long time. Um, but some of the, some of the transcendent experiences I had were just seconds long or, um, just one realization. Um, some of the work I did in the shaman workshops was really powerful, I went to Montana and did these shaman workshops where we used the um, art of drumming to kind of travel to mm. different realms. And that took Love me drumming. a little while to like really open up to. But when I did, I had some of the most profound experiences probably of my life. And mm. those have stayed with me to this day. But it, you know, it really took me like getting out of my own way is what it took had to get out of my own way and I had to keep trying and I had to keep opening up and I had to, I had to, you know what I had to find? I had to find faith. I didn't understand what faith was. Um, I didn't understand that concept that we can believe in something, even if we don't understand it. And you found it. I did. Yeah, I did. And how does that change your journey? It has um, enabled me to relax into my life a lot more, to embrace my life, to be present, to um, to feel love. You know, I was very caught up. I was very anxious. I was trying to control everything all the time. Um, I th after all that loss, you know, I got very anxious. And I thought, if I can just control everything all the time, my environment, uh, I'm going huh. to, you know, keep myself from getting hurt again. Um, and that of course is never true and Impossible. It, it really helped me to relax into my life and just be here and be open to whatever it brings. Perfect. Everybody hear that? Yeah. That's, that's the challenge is when we try to control and we can't, we're interdependent we beings, part of this great big web. And we're just, you know, in these, in this human form, just one little aspect of it. So, Claire, recently I had a woman call into the radio show, and she told her that uh, somebody, I think it was a psychic, told her that she was not doing grief right. Mm. What do you say to that? <laughs> oh, there's no right way to grieve. There's no wrong way yeah. to grieve. It's so different for everyone, and it's so... It's so big. It's so overwhelming. It's one of the biggest emotional experiences we'll go through in our lifetime. We don't have a handbook for it. We've got many books for it, but there's not one particular handbook that's going to see one person through it. Everyone should grieve the way that they do anything, you know? And I think the only wrong way to grieve would be to not grieve. 
I think grief mm-hmm. is a really beautiful, tender experience that we can have in our lives. I think it asks a lot of us. It can be so painful, but it can also ask us to think about what matters to us, what's meaningful, who are we, what are our relationships mm. about, what do we want life to be like? And and I think that there's a lot of like beautiful transformation and opportunity in that space. And we have to walk through the fire to get there. Um, I think we can get stuck in grief. I think we can get stuck in things like anxiety and anger. And that's not wrong. Um, It's just we need to keep moving through it. We need to keep letting it move through us. So there's no wrong Well, let's talk about that a minute because the anxiety is the the topic of your third book and that you call it the missing stage of grief. And I don't hear people talk too much about anxiety. They just talk about how awful and painful grief is. What is the thrust of your book? It's really just exploring that correlation between anxiety and, and going through loss. And I wasn't seeing it talked about anywhere or hearing about it, yet I was seeing it in myself when my mother died, but in so many of my clients. You know, I would have somebody who lost a dad and then had their first panic attack, you know, six weeks later. Um, Hmm. and many other examples like that, uh, people maybe were anxious before their anxiety ratchets up after a loss or people were never anxious and suddenly what's that? How does it manifest besides panic attacks? Um, it manifests in lots of ways. I see a lot of hypochondria, people really worrying that they are also going to get sick and die. People worry that they have got an illness, they've got cancer, they worry that um, disastrous things are going to happen all the time. You know, someone's late coming home from work and they're mm. sure that the person's dead in a car accident. You know, they go right to the disaster scenarios all the time. Um, mm. it, it manifests in social phobias, people really being afraid to be out and about with other people, not knowing how to be in the world anymore. Um, it manifests in sleep problems and physical problems a lot. Anxiety is a slippery creature. Um, but the good news is that I think there's a lot that you can do to work on anxiety and grief. I think it's natural and normal to, to suddenly have this new awareness of the world that can be frightening. You know, I think we really go through, a big mortality check when we lose somebody. And, and for those who have never been through it, the world looks like a totally different place after that. And it can often feel very unsafe. And I think finding our new ground, finding security and safety and that, that feeling of safety after we lose someone takes a while. Um, and that's where the anxiety lives. Interesting because I encourage people to live life once you awaken to the greater reality from the two aware of the two points of view that when we feel anxious, we're stuck in the story. And yet you find that place of total peace at the soul level. So that's, that's my perspective on anxiety yet. We're here to live life fully. So Mm -hmm. do you work the spirituality into this at all? And if so, how? I don't normally. Um, I work with people on a pretty, you know, regular life level. I I feel like I bring my own spirituality into it um, in some sense and just the way that I understand humanity and the way that I think about things. And I sometimes feel like I can open myself up to just be as healing in the way that person needs. Um, yeah. And that feels like something beyond me. But, you know, I think... Um, I think it's hard for people to step outside of the story. I work with them on that for sure. You know, I think therapy is all about exploring our story. What's the story we're telling ourselves? Um, What's the story that other people tell about us? What's the story we tell about this loss? Um, What's the story we tell about what happens when we die? You know, and so looking at those narratives and maybe taking them apart, maybe crafting new ones. And then Um, I think there's a lot of great intersection here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just kind of jumping around a bit with the time we have left, is there a time limit for grief in your experience? No, I think that um, we never get over losing someone we love. I think we learn to live with that loss. I think we incorporate that loss into our lives. 
I think we can always miss them and wish they were here, but that doesn't mean we can't live a full, beautiful life at the same time. You know, um, I think, you know, my mom's been gone for 25 years and I'm not actively grieving her anymore, but I still miss her all the time. I still wish she were here. You know, I still have moments where I'm like, ah, I wish she were here right now to meet my kids or help me, um, with the kids. (laughs) And, and I know I'll carry that to my end, you know, I'll, I'll never stop wishing I'd had more time with them. Um, even, even when I've found a new sense of connection to them, um, I think it's all very layered. Yeah, and like I think I could interrupt, our culture likes I interrupt to... for a second here, you know, you yeah. talk about that, a new relationship, that's for me, what mediumship is about that, you know, you, you just said, mm-hmm. and we're in the habit of saying, I wish you were here to see my daughter or this and that. And what I've found from my readings is they are, and unfortunately, we're half of that equation, so not having the back-and-forth communication impedes that awareness. But they do know about all of those family events and those types of things. So I'm so glad that you, that in your work you have been able to work mediumship into it. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like it's all about how we incorporate you know, this loss, how do we find a new relationship with this person? You know, I do have a new relationship with my mother. It's it's not over, you know, she's not gone. I still have a mom. Um, and I have a different kind of relationship with her. And I do believe, like you say, that she is here. She does know my children. I just wish I could talk to her like you can. Of course, of course. You know, it's really funny. I was just reading an article that somebody wrote about your work uh, before the interview today. And I found an interesting little God wink there. I started my reading that I did for someone this morning with an invocation. I always start with an invocation, but I changed the wording for the first time ever. I said, and may we be left with a sense of wonder and awe at the spirit world and what comes through in this reading today. That's how I ended it. And then I later today just read this article about you and the the writer of the article wrote, she meaning you, Claire Bidwell Smith leaves us with a sense of wonder about the unknown hmm. and a shining kind of hope. So it was just a little God wink that spirit world knew what was coming up today. And that I love that that's what you've done in your work. And I know how rewarding that must be for you. Thank you. I love that. I love that that happened. Yeah. I want people to feel permission to wonder, permission to, you know, open up in all the ways they can. And so I, I love mediumship, like go see, mediums find your find your loved ones in whatever way it works yeah in fact in that article the author said that uh, they quoted you we are more than just our bodies there's no such thing as goodbye so I read that and I said yeah she's on board now <laughs> <laughs> yep yes I definitely by the end of that book was in a different place now as we come we have about five minutes left but you also talk a lot in 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 your books plural about how important it is just to think about the meaning of death the meaning of life you want to go into that for a minute yeah you know even since i wrote that book i've come to different understandings about it but um you know i remember in the book i write about how for a period of years while i was working on that book Everywhere I went, I asked people, what do you think happens when we die? And I had the most amazing conversations. I would ask anybody. And and <laughs> always the answers were, you know, surprising, interesting, heartbreaking, maddening, you know. And one day I, I asked a friend of mine, this very sardonic writer friend of mine, he was wearing all black and smoking a cigarette. And I was like, Rob, what do you think happens when we die? Blew out his cigarette. And he was like, Claire, what do you want to happen? And I... I had never let myself consider that. I had never asked hmm. myself, what, what, what do I want to happen? If I, if I could choose, what would it be? And oh my gosh, I spent probably a year trying to figure it out and thinking about it. And it is the last chapter of the book I write about that. But um, I just want people to be able to really open up and, and explore their own thoughts about, about the meaning of life and about death and you know, I've really come to understand that death is transition. Loss is change, transition. We, nothing stays the same. And I don't think there's really an ending to anything. I think it just changes, changes shape, changes form, changes time, changes energy. 
And, um, and I think when we can really embrace that and, and move with change and flow with it, then I think we'll be rewarded with a lot of healing and, and a lot more paths that open up before us. Indeed. And your books and uh, what we've talked about today shows that so how few people take the time to talk about the deeper subjects, to think about them. You were thrust into this at an early age. And so many people spend so much of their time at a superficial level because they're afraid to dive in deep. But that's what leads mm-hmm. to some of the deepest moments of connection and joy and discovery in our lives. It's true. I feel like embracing death and grief has just made me live a richer, more meaningful life. And you talk quite often in your writing about how it's actually when you go to those deep places, you actually feel more peaceful. That seems like a paradox, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But I, I, you know, I think you're right. I think, I think it's actually harder to live on the shallow surface of it all. Um, and I think it's in our true nature and our, I think, you know, we're here to, to be here and to be human and to be, um, all that, that there is in these lifetimes. And so when we do access it and we do step into who we are, I think there is peace to be found. No doubt. Well, with one minute left in the show, if we're not able to grieve properly years before, how do people do go about doing that now? Is that possible to heal years later? Absolutely. I think there's always healing to be done. I think there's always, um, you know, grief can last a long time. You can tuck it away and then it's still there years later. Um, you know, seeing a counselor, seeing um, someone religious or spiritual, seeing a medium, um, starting to really acknowledge that your grief lives inside of you or that you have healing to do. Writing about it is incredibly powerful and cathartic. Um, I think that there are multitudes of just ways we can open up to to our wounds and to and to what we really need to look at in our lives. We all know when we have something, and most people have okay. something, you know. And, and, and I have to thank like you as we, we run but... out of time here, but a great way to start truly is with your books. Claire Bidwell-Smith is the full name. Check her out online, and truly, your books are transformational. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, Suzanne. Yeah, thank you. See you all back here next week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.